Welcome to Elemental Talks, a podcast that airs innovative voices from the worlds of marketing, design, and development. Listen to experts exploring best practices and learn how to build better websites. Michael Saka is the VP of Product at Dribble. Beginning his career 15 years ago as a product designer, Michael has built applications for General Electric, Nike, Siemens, Kobe Bryant, and others. He founded Brandisty, a design asset management software, which was acquired in 2014 and is now owned by Envision. Later on, he served as the president of Crew, the freelance design and development marketplace acquired by Dribbble in 2017. In this podcast, Michael talks about the factors that helped Dribbble grow, the challenges they faced, and also shares his tips for business growth on a small budget. Welcome to another episode of Elementary Talks, and with me is Matan. Hi, Ben. How are you? I'm great, and I'm excited because we have a special episode to celebrate our reaching, Elementor reaching 3 million active installs. That's great. I'm excited. I'm also excited, Ben, because we have someone that is special on its own, on himself, uh, speaking to us from the West Coast of Canada. And that's, that's right. Yeah. So, hello, Michael Saka. Hey, good morning. How are you guys doing? We're great. Uh, so Michael is the VP product at Dribble. Dribble is a global community where designers share their work, grow their skills, and get hired. If you're a designer, you must know uh, Dribble because that's the place to be. And uh, Michael is uh, following up, I would say, with the big roundup uh, that we recently had. So Michael, we want to rack your brains about Dribble's growth. And the first question we have is, what was the first shot that was posted on Dribble, if you can remember? Yeah, it was by the founder, Dan Cederholm. Um, I, I forget exactly what, uh, what was contained in it, but um, it was kind of his example of what he wanted the community to be, um, which is really screenshots um, of what you're working on now. Now, that's changed over time. It, that was over uh, 10 years ago. Uh, but that was the first shot was really uh, teaching people how he envisioned them using Dribble. Mm-hmm. So you started as a closed network where new members can join by invitation only. This model actually continues until today. But how did you propel this move on the get-go, on the beginning? What Was this a part of a branding strategy? So I, I think it was actually a server strategy um, to make sure that they could keep the lights on. Um, <laughs> You know, it was it was really clever. And the the goal, again, I, I wasn't uh, there. It was Dan and Rich um, when they were starting out the company. And they decided to, to build an invite-only system. What it became was a way to keep high quality inside of the network without Dribbble itself having to do that, that curation, right? And so the idea was that if you're a professional designer and you only invite other professional designers, then we can build this community with the best designers in the world. And that's exactly what happened. Um, and so the, the invite system is still exists today. It's still part of the company's DNA. Uh, but it, and I think intentionally or not, it, it created this huge buzz around becoming part of this platform. I remember when I got my first Dribble invite or my, my, I got invited to Dribble. it was kind of that moment in your career as a designer where you feel seen. You, all of a sudden, you're part of this uh, community. It, it's much different than just going to a website, leaving comments, and, and instantly being um, involved. You, you have to know someone on the inside in order to get in. 
and it was a, an exciting moment. And, and I think a lot of designers have also had that excitement. And then later on, they started getting sold on eBay. Um, so there's actually, there's actually value to these. Now, it's not something that we, that we um, encourage, but it does happen. And, and, and it just shows the power of, um, of the invite and how much excitement there is around this kind of system, which is, is now core to Drupal. And how is the screening done? I mean, is there also a screening based on quality of, of uh, the person joining? No, no. Um, it's, as a company, we don't do any screening. It, it's all the community. So the community really built itself. We, we put together um, a way to distribute the invites, uh, but we don't monitor necessarily who comes in unless they're abusing the platform, right? But there is no check by us to say, you're a good designer, you're not a good designer. If the community vouches for you, then you're in. So this is a great way to kind of create, uh, you know, the, the feeling of a closed club and uh, kind of a hand, uh, you know, um, kind of uh, one person uh, refers another. But did you also use other marketing methods like uh, AdWords campaigns, etc.? Uh, in the beginning, in the early days, there was, there was none. It really was run as, a, you know, the invite system was the main driver and it, was, it created such a buzz that word of mouth could grow. Um, not all products can grow that way. I think Dribbble is extremely unique in that, in that sense. Um, but it was the right time. It was the right kind of tactic. And, and it, it grew very organically. There, I don't believe we spent anything on marketing for the first eight to nine years. The, your core audience were des- designers. Did you have specific uh, personas that you sought after? So, um, and again, in the early days, it was really designers who were active online. And so they, they were sharing their work elsewhere. And you can see if, if you kind of go back in the Wayback Machine, there was a couple of these um, kind of communities popping up. And, and so there was definitely a need, there was a yearning that designers, they wanted a place to go, but they didn't have that. They had personal blogs of various designers. They had other social networks. And so when Dribbble came along, I kind of said, well, here, let's play here. And uh, there was, there was just a, such a need in, in the niche market, if you will, um, versus kind of a public social network that within the design community, people got really, really excited. And, and so there was no persona. There was no um, marketing. It was very, very organic. And it really was just filling a need that was, that was organically happening. And it gave a platform where people were searching for one. And I think when you solve a problem, you have that kind of product market fit, if you will. Um, when you solve a problem in that way, that's the only way that this strategy could work, right? You really have to be solving that, that need and that pain point for people in order for this to work without AdWords and um, you know, other marketing spend looking to grow. I think one of the big reasons that uh, Dribbble managed to grow along uh, the design community was the fact that you created a whole language around basketball and really had it across the, the, the website. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. Um, and again, I don't know where. I, I think it was, it was kind of an off-the-cuff decision um, by the, the founding team to, to call it Dribble. Um, and, and then the, the branding kind of branched out from there. 
and Dan Cedar home is uh, he, he's a master at this stuff. And it, he, I, I feel like he can do this in his sleep. And, and, and so as the, the basketball term started to catch on, the company leaned more and more into them. Um, and it, it really did it, you know, the shot, right. It, I mean, the shot could be a screenshot, yeah. could be a shot in basketball, but it's become ubiquitous with the dribble platform. And in, in our space, I don't know another platform that has kind of that branded ingrained name for how to share work. And so I think, uh, that would be Dan uh, knows a, a bit more about where that origin came from. Um, but from the outside looking in at that time, it, it didn't really make sense. Right. Uh, but it worked. And, and I think that's the important part is that people, they got on board with it. They, something clicked and, and I, you know, designers don't necessarily love basketball. I, I don't think that's a, <laughs> that's a, a common thread. Right. And we weren't yeah. looking personas that did uh but it, it we understood enough about it where we could kind of tongue-in-cheek relate to um the branding on the site and, and get involved it was much better than having no language for that and and so i, I think the branding worked it worked really well but again I, yeah I'm, I'm not quite sure where <laughs> why basketball and not baseball but <laughs> Michael, you said earlier that for around eight or nine years, you did not spend any money on marketing uh, campaigns. During this time, your community uh, grew a lot. So I, I wonder how significant was the role of the community in this growth? I, I think the community was everything um, and still is. Like it, it, I, I don't think much has, has really changed. And so the, the community, because it was such a high quality design community and naturally attracted other designers in the field doing work, looking for inspiration, which is why, why, you know, the site exists. And, and then they also wanted to join when they wanted to be part of, of this elite group that was sharing their work at the time. And, and so the, the community was the the sole driver of growth in both the interest um, and then like the trends that you see on the site and those conversations and then sharing it out to other social networks at meetups. Meetups were a huge part. Um, we, we do over 180 meetups every year now, uh, which are community run. And so I, I think the meetups are a great example of how much enthusiasm there is for the brand um, and for the platform where people, you know, from anywhere from 30 people in a bar up to thousands of people um, in an auditorium. They throw these uh, dribble meetups and they get together to share their love of design. And that was happening online and offline. And while the, the meetups weren't necessarily a growth strategy, it was an amazing way to get that IRL connection that, that designers were looking for. So that was just a side product, the growth by the community. Because you also have nowadays, you have conferences. Right now it's in the States, as I understand, but yes. are you planning to expand that to other continents and uh, Europe maybe? Yeah, we're open to it. Um, we're, we're kind of exploring what to do with our hang time uh, conference. What's our next step? But the, the conference, you know, after eight years of these organic meetups happening, we have a, we have a meetup platform on the site where people can register their meetup. Uh, but after eight years of that, we thought, well, 
what would it look like if dribbled through one of these meetups? So we wanted to do a one day design inspiration. Um, and that's really what hang time is, is a, it's a full day of designers getting together. We get hundreds of designers in whatever city that we throw that to come out and, and celebrate the design community, full day of speakers. Um, and it, it, it's really amazing, but that probably that might not have happened if the community hadn't shown first that there was just so much interest in them getting together in this way. In another uh, topic, as of 2019, Dribble's fully remote team is composed yeah. of uh, 40, around 40 employees. Did you start from day one as a remote team or how did it affect your growth? Yeah, so day one was Dan and Rich in Salem, Massachusetts. And so they were working in kind of like a co-working office together. Mm-hmm. And they were both working on different projects. They, they both, I, I believe they were both freelancing. And they just as kind of like a fun side project is where they started Dribble because they wanted a place to, to share what he, had, what he was working on. So, they, so it started as you know, two guys in a co-working space. And for many years, and really until 2017, it was about eight people. And they were remote. And so remote was built into kind of the, the DNA of the early hires. Um, so while the company wasn't founded with founders in different offices, I, I believe by their fourth or fifth hire, it was very clear that Drupal was going to be a remote company and they would get together a couple times a year. And now we've, we've kept that because there's huge advantages to being a remote team. And, uh, and so still today, we are, we are 40 people. Um, we are remote, uh, mostly North America. And we've developed kind of our own ways of working together as a team um, that work for us. Can you list a few of these advantages for listeners? Many of them are uh, freelancers or small agencies looking for remote employees. Oh, yeah. I mean, some of the, the big advantages are allowing people to work the way that they work best, right? And, and so with remote, you can have a bit more asynchronous communication. People don't need to report into an office. We save, you know, two hours a day on commutes, which we can now spend with our family. And we can also hire from anywhere. And, and so as a company, that's our big advantage is that we're not stuck in the in the you know the metropolitan area that that we're in and we need people to be within a 30 or 40 minute drive of an office um so people you know we can hire the best person from des moines iowa or from austin texas or from vancouver and and work and build our team that way and so for us that that's been the huge advantage and then we can allow people to build their day so that they're most effective right if they need to go to the gym in the morning because that's what gets them going that's great you know if they need to to uh take a break midday to pick up their kids that's no problem. Um, and all those things become harder and harder in an office. But when people are happy in their lives, they also do better work. Uh, well, one of the aspects of growth is also the challenges of growth. And when you scale to uh, 40 employees that work remote, you have the question of keeping the, the same culture and values. So what kind of efforts uh, do you do to maintain that? Yeah, so we do, um, we do a lot of in-person or in video uh, get-togethers. Just last night, we had a movie club uh, where everyone watched mm-hmm. The Goonies and uh, uh-huh. played games that kind of related to that. We do a coffee hour um, where we just take an hour as a team. We have uh, like virtual activities that we do. The last one was uh, we built a superhero persona 
for everyone um, that participated. And, and so it was just a fun way to get to know people sitting. You have to kind of get used to sitting in a video call, which can be different. But when you get, when you start to be, figure out how to build those connections there, it can be really powerful. On the work side, we started doing kind of open offices where, you know, we'll just open up a, a Zoom channel and whoever wants some company essentially can jump in. And it's a bit more like working in an office. You can have those kind of side conversations. And that's been working out really, really well. And then we get together twice a year. So that, that was one of the big reasons behind the Hang oh, Time Conference cool. um, was to get the team together twice a year and then have that you know, in real life uh, moment where, where we can really get to know each other. And honestly, that also makes a huge difference. Um, but we don't need that every day. That's a lot of uh, creative ideas to actually to create this DNA of a remote uh, company. Yeah. Um, so now we have three questions, three questions to you about growth. So let's hit it off. Yeah, and this follows the roundup that we, we invite our listeners to, to check out. And the first question is, what was the number one factor for the growth of your business? So, I mean, I, I think we've talked a lot about it. It's the, yeah. it's the excitement of the community, right? I, I think uh, Dribbble solved the need early on for designers to get together. And um, because they really got that product market fit right, it grew so organically. Um, and it grew to, you know, for the first eight years, it was nearly a top 1,000 website run by eight people. And, and that, that, I think, is a testament to the power of solving the right problem. And, and when you do, what, what can happen? And you don't need to do all of the, the marketing spend that, that uh, other companies need to. And, and Dribbble is a unique story in that way, but I, I think it's a testament to building the right product for the right market. Great. Uh, what challenges did you face and what did you learn from overcoming them? Yeah, so I, I think more recently we've faced um, you know, company growth. Uh, challenges, right? Is is how do you how do you build a remote team that is as effective as a a team that's that's sitting in an office? And how do you do that bootstrapped, right? So we we have not yet taken uh, VC funding, so we grow on our own revenue, and and I think those create uh, different atmospheres for growth, um, and yet you have to be a lot more um, diligent about the experience that we're trying, right? Um, so we don't, we don't take $100,000 and throw it at a potential marketing uh, budget. Um, so we have to kind of test early, test often, and then look for those early signs of what's working and then do more of that. And so that can be, that can be challenging, but that can also be incredibly rewarding when we figure it out. Um, but we, but we, our investments come kind of on the back of our, of our revenue. And so it's a slightly different way of thinking about what experiments you're going to run and how much research do you do before running those experiments. That's amazing that uh, Dribble was bootstrapped and your bootstrap mentality. Yeah. Uh, we can go talk about it more, but I have to go on to the third question, which is what are your top three tips for someone looking to grow their business in 2020 with a limited budget? Where would I, where would I start? Um, I, I definitely think, you know, as popular as, um, you know, marketing and, and ads can be, I think there's definitely organic ways to do it. I, I would talk to your customers, um, which is something that I've always done and always advocated for is, is 
talking to them, finding out where they're discovering uh, new products, find out what got them so excited about your product so you can build the marketing that way. Um, the messaging is, is incredibly important. And so figuring out what really resonates with them, right? We build a product, we talk about the features, but what is, what is that the element that, that actually attracts them to your product? Um, it's probably not a feature. It's probably more of an emotion. Um, and so you really getting down into the root of that and really understanding why they're choosing your product over another, you can then take that conversation to future potential customers. I think it was Heaton Shaw had advice um, on how to do this on a low budget using AdWords, right? And so he would take a couple uh, like headline copies for his website. What did he want that, that hero copy to be? You'd put that into an ad, spend a hundred, two hundred dollars, and see which one got the most clicks. And oh, yeah. it, that was his way of determining what's my best headline. What what is what is my message that people is is going to resonate with people the most? And and so those are are kind of small hacks that you can do to really figure out what is it that people respond to, and it's probably not X or Y feature. That's great, and also it's a great testament to the power of branding because that's. I mean, if you have features, everything can be copied eventually, but really your, your, your messaging and your branding cannot. Yeah. This was fantastic, I have to say, Michael. We like to thank you a lot for this time, this early morning time in Vancouver <laughs> to answer our questions. Um, but we really like the insightful, uh, the new insights, actually, that you provided here. Well, thanks, guys. This is, this is fantastic. We would like to remind our listeners that uh, every Thursday we're posting our podcast, our weekly podcast. And uh, Ben? Yeah, you're, everyone is invited to subscribe. Uh, Michael, how can uh, people reach you and, and follow you and get on Dribble? Yeah, sure. So for Dribble, go to dribble.com. That's with three Bs. And for me, they can, uh, I'll be, I'm on Twitter at Michael Saka. Use that handle on most social networks too. Great. Uh, so it was great talking to you. Thanks for doing this. And hopefully we can do a lot more together. I mean, Dribble and Elementor, that's a, that's a great match. So until next time, thank you very much. Look forward to it, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye. Bye.